Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola Shokumbi. I'm the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance. The Clever Girls Know podcast is a podcast for women, offering a space for conversations around personal finance, business, life, and living. I'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast, and you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes. And if you love what you listen to, head on over to iTunes and leave a review so that other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. I'd also love for you to stop by clevergirlfinance.com. We have new content on the blog multiple times a week. We have over 30 plus free courses. Plus, when you sign up for a course, you can talk to a Clever Girl Finance mentor for free to get encouragement, motivation, or if you just want to have an open, no shame, no judgment girl talk. Finally, check out our YouTube channel. Just search Clever Girl Finance on YouTube. And if you don't already follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Clever Girl Finance. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Hey, Erin. Hi, Bola. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm so great. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I am excited to have you and I can't wait for you to share your key tips on how folks can get the hell out of debt because you've been there and you've done it. But before we dive in, I'd love for you to tell everyone who you are and what you do. Well, I recently wrote a book called Get the Hell Out of Debt because it's based on a process that I've been teaching for many years. So I run an online course called Get the Hell Out of Debt. I have a community of people who are committed to getting out of debt and building their wealth. And so I just wrote the book. So I guess I'm an author. I guess that's my title. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. And yeah, so I'd love for you to just walk us through your personal story with debt. How did you get into debt and how much debt did you find yourself with? Well, I was in the financial industry because I was buying up real estate at the time. I thought I was doing the right thing and building this real estate portfolio. I also had a mortgage brokerage. And so I was considered a financial expert. I was doing really well on that side of things. But personally, I was really struggling. I just didn't have enough cash. And I couldn't figure out if I had all these assets, like why was I still struggling so much? And so I finally just decided to do a deep dive into the numbers. I essentially told myself, I'm going to pretend I know nothing about money. I'm going to get rid of all of the things that I think I know about money. And I'm going to look at what actually is. And I was $2.1 million in debt. And I was like, wow, this is not at all. (laughs) You know, I was like, I was in love with the idea of these monthly payments that I thought I could manage. Right. So I, I failed to look at the big picture. Yeah. So that was a long and ugly look at what was actually happening. And that's what started this whole process of then moving from this position of, you know, being a mortgage broker and helping people get into debt to instead now helping people get the hell out of it. Wow. That's incredible. $2.1 million in debt. So let's break that down a little bit, right? Because you just mentioned that you had your own business Mm -hmm. and you had assets, which I'm assuming were real estate. And so you had those mortgages. Did you have any business debt? No, I think the thing to point out is that people hear that and they go, oh, well, if you had $2.1 million in debt, you probably had like 4 million in assets. So just sell them and pay off the debt. Like it wasn't like that. It was like, these lines of credit that would like sort of when I was a teenager, right? Like the bank was like, have a credit card. And I was like, Oh, okay. This sounds, sounds fun. And then, you know, you'd, you know, make payments towards it. And then they'd be like, well, let's extend the limit and let's extend the limit. And it just kept 
growing. So that 2.1 wasn't asset-based secure liabilities. That was like total foolishness. I was living like I was Beyonce, but I did not have her income. Like it was, it was like 100% idiosity was what that debt was. So the reason why I asked that, because I know somebody's listening, who's going to be like, wow, 2.1 million debt. What was it? What made up 2.1 million? So if you can tell us, did you have, you mentioned lines of credit. Did you have mortgages? Did you have a car note? What was, let's remove the assets aside. Let's just everything. talk about the debt. Wow. Everything. Like I did it all. And, and I think the thing that I kept doing, and this was where I realized I had to stop this process was, you know, I would, I would refinance or reconsolidate the debt all the time. Right. So I, I'd end up with this, you know, and it started with, you know, a $2,000 credit card. Wow. Like it, just like anybody else, right? It starts with this like little bit and then it gets unmanageable. And the first time I consolidated, I think I had $5,000 in debt, which at the time I think I had a, maybe a $20,000 a year income. And I was like, I couldn't manage this $5,000. Like it was overwhelming and I didn't have enough. So I consolidated that into one $5,000 loan, but then I still had access to those credit cards. I didn't learn my lesson, right? I kept thinking like, if I just did a quick mathematical you know, like if I could just get a lower interest rate, if I could just like, I kept thinking those were the things that would solve my problem. I didn't understand that the only thing that actually gets rid of debt is actually paying it off. The math aside, you can't actually become debt-free unless you pay down the actual debt and stop using the debt, right? So I just kept digging in the hole and it kept getting bigger. And because I did have some assets, what that meant was the banks were willing to lend me more money. More so, money. Yeah. yeah, it just kept growing and growing and growing. And, you know, it's, it's tough for me to say, like, it didn't happen in one fell swoop, right? It's not like I had an income of $4 million and that's why I had that much credit, right? It was, I never, ever made over a million dollars a year. I just kept <laughs> fancy financing all the debt and it just kept growing and growing and growing. And some of this happened, you know, during the time where you could get a mortgage just by giving a pinky swear that you were going to pay it back, you know, like that loan <laughs> yeah. period in the nineties and stuff where it was like, so there were some loans that were, you know, they weren't really qualifying them the way they ought to. So there's a little bit mm -hmm. of responsibility there, but I was fully willing to take, like if somebody, a lender was willing to give me you know, $250, I saw that as free money. And I, I thought I was wow. being smart with it, but I just, I did not have the tools to really understand how to manage credit or debt. So let me ask you this. You mentioned your, your income, right? And obviously you had your business, so you were earning a good amount of money. What was your income, if you don't mind sharing, that allowed you to support or pinky swear getting, <laughs> getting, you know, those massive lines of credit, because for the, for the average person who's making, I'd say $50,000 a year, mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine that they would be able to qualify for $2.1 million, even over time. They like, again, it just depends on all of the other circumstances that are surrounding mm -hmm. it. Right. And I never had a steady year of income. So I can't say like in a particular year I made X, but what would happen is I would, you know, I started off making 20, whatever thousand dollars a year it was when I started. And then, you know, by the end, like when I was at the height of my business and I was doing fairly well, my income was $375,000 or so, but that's not a true representation of the cash that goes in to your jeans. And I think that's where mm -hmm. the lenders yeah. back then realized they were running into trouble, right? Because you, you know, they'll, they'll look at the, the gross, like some lenders would take the net income of your business and some would take the gross, but neither of those things represent the profit. And so when you're, you know, you think you're being so smart because you're like, oh, I'm going to write off this computer. I'm going to write off this vehicle. I'm going to write like you. I didn't really understand that 
how that was actually affecting the financial picture. So, you know, it ranged anywhere from 20,000 to $375,000 a -hmm. year, which sounds like a lot of money. I had more money in my, like more disposable income when I had $20,000 than when I had 375. So it just was like a, I was in just a giant mess. Right. And some of the things I was doing was like at the height of some of those income years, when I'm earning 375, I was still paying off mistakes that I had made when I was $20,000, you know? So it just, Mm -hmm. it wasn't like for, you know, I think for most people who have a steady job and they, you know, they earn that $50,000 a year and they get the credit card, there's a debt service limit that maxes out what they can do, right? So we know that if you have $50,000 in income, typically the max debt you'll be in is around $25,000 because of TDS and GDS, right? Gross debt and total debt servicing ratios. When that income's fluctuating or when lenders are looking at things other than income, when they're, you can fall into more of that sort of slippery slope type process. And so I just got to this point where I was like, what is happening? Like, why, why can't I figure this out? And I had to really stop any borrowing and just thought this is going to hurt. And I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to hurt. And I'm going to just let it hurt so that I can figure this out so that I, I don't continue to hurt in the long run. And the interesting part was that, and you've experienced this too, I'm sure, is that some of the people who came to me for help, as I started to kind of dig my way out of that and started to make some progress, they were financial professionals as well. Wow. (laughs) So I wanted to go back to something you said, which was a really good point. And I want to highlight it for the folks who are listening to this, which is, you know, basically lenders will pre-approve you or give you lines of credit based on your gross income many times without factoring. They don't really care about your taxes. They don't care about your expenses. They don't care about whatever else you have going on. As long as your income qualifies for the line of credit, right? And you meet other criteria, you will get it. The issue is that, you know, a lot of people assume that because a lender is going to give them the amount of money that they can afford it, but you actually have Mm -hmm. to look back. So for those of you listening, look at your taxes, look at your, especially when it comes to mortgages, look at your obligations every month. Can you afford this? Run your numbers and you tell the lender what's going to work for you. Yes. A hundred percent. And, and I think even just doing that process, you're going to learn for yourself what it yes. is right? when you're yes. blindly like, I was so stupid. Like I look back and I'm like, but why I don't yeah. even remember. Like what did that pack of gum that I put on my credit card when I was 18 actually cost gum. me? <laughs> but you know, what's great, Erin, is that we can laugh about this now because you've gotten to the other side and there's yeah. a lot of learnings and we all make mistakes. We all make stupid mistakes. We all make crazy mistakes, yeah. but the key is learning and moving forward. So, mm-hmm. so you were basically able to kind of manage or struggle through the monthly payments, right? Before you got to the realization that, you know what, this is crazy. I need to figure this out. Tell me about your mindset. How were you managing mentally through this journey, owing 2.1 million when you sat down and wrote down your numbers? And Mm -hmm. how did your mindset evolve over time? How are you feeling emotionally and mentally? (laughs) At first I was like, I'm, I'm amazing. Look at all of this debt like that. I am <laughs> my credit score was outstanding, right? Because the credit score is based on your ability to manage. So I was, I was managing as far as the credit score was concerned, but I just was maxed out and like frustrated. Right. And so I thought on one hand, like, I am so smart, but why does this feel like I'm dumb? And then I had to go, you know what? Maybe I'm dumb. Like maybe I, if I just remove this sort of ego piece from this. And I look at this, like what's actually happening. So I had to have that moment of total yuck where I was like, 
okay, now I'm, it's okay to admit that I'm not okay here. And that's when it really settled in. Like I went through this dark period of like, I think just that fear and that shame that come with debt, right? That feeling of like, this is never going to change. I'm never getting out of this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to file bankruptcy. I'm going to have to, like, I thought about all those things. And I, I used to think bankruptcy was such a shameful, awful thing. And since going through this, I'd never had to file it myself, but I've met people who have, and it's not shameful. It's like, it's a sad thing and it kind of sucks, but just like anything else, you can get through it. Right. And so, but I had this moment where I just got off the phone with this, somebody I was supposed to go meet across town and I didn't have any money to get there. And I had to cancel the meeting. And I remember feeling like the biggest loser. You, I just felt like I'm just not able to, I can't go anywhere. I'm, I'm handcuffed. I'm, I have no freedom. I have no choice. And I remember feeling sort of this darkness and I fell into a bit of a yucky spot for a little while. And I remember realizing that I was worth more dead than alive when it came to my insurance and different Mm. things. And that was a really yucky place to be for a while in my, in my mind. But then this amazing thing happened where somebody else that I know who was in financial services messaged me and said like, uh, you know, I'm in real estate and I'm, I don't know why, but every time I get a commission check, like it's all gone and I can't figure this out. Can you help me? And so when I started to I looked at their numbers for them. I said, I don't know if I can help you because I'm actually an idiot and I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll have a look for you, right? And see what I can see. And when I looked at it through my lens, I could see the solution. Mm -hmm. So when I was looking at numbers that weren't, I wasn't emotionally attached to, I could find all the solutions in the world. But for me, when it was my own junk, I had too much shame and too much self-judgment around it to really be able to handle it properly. Mm -hmm. Like I was doing things that I was just trying to like, you know, when you're, trying so desperately to get to the next paycheck so you can put food on the table, you're making such short-term urgent decisions that of course you can't think long-term about the goals and the dreams and like what you want for your life and what you want it to look like. You're in a survival-based place. And so the mindset that had to shift was I had to go from this survival, immediate, urgent-based thinking to eventually, and it takes a long time to get there because you do have to have your needs met, right? You have to have you have to feel emotionally safe. You have to have food on the table. You have to be able to sleep at night. There's a few basic human needs that have to be met before you can start to dream and be creative. But Mm -hmm, the shift happened when I was able to move from that survival-based thinking into sort of more long-term, like if I were to do this all over again, what would I do? If, If these weren't my numbers, if these numbers belong to a woman named Jane and I looked at them that way, what advice would I give her? And I had to sort of deconstruct it that way. Wow. You know, I think whether it's $2.1 million, $100,000, $5,000, when someone is overextended beyond their own capacity, and to someone else, it might seem like a massive amount, to someone else, it might seem like a small amount. But when someone is going through that experience of being overextended, and they're just feeling embarrassed and shameful, and it just, they hate themselves, like you were thinking about being worth more dead than alive, it can be a big mental toll on uh, on that person because they're in the the depths of how do I figure this out? They haven't even gotten to the plan. They haven't even gotten to the the solution. They haven't even, they're in that depth of feeling all those things that they feel. And I always tell people that where you are is where you are. However you got there, fine. Everybody has made mistakes, but give yourself the grace Mm-hmm. to reflect and forgive yourself no matter how foolish you feel your mistake 
is or was and be mindful of allowing other people to shame you or embarrass you, especially when you've gotten to that inflection point where you want to change and you want to do things differently and you want to overcome that aspect because people will have a lot to say. And I can imagine people around you had a lot to say to you Mm -hmm. about your bubble gum (laughs) on the credit card, right? But you know, Wow. So, <laughs> yes. And, you know, this is what I love about you and the work that you do. And I, this is why I wish, you know, you had existed when I was, you know, going through all this because you normalize a lot of conversations about money and you make money conversations really accessible for people. And we just don't talk enough about money like person to person, right? We don't have these sort of open conversations. And so everybody's assuming that everybody else is doing really well and that we're the mm. only ones that are struggling. But if we normalize that we all make stupid money mistakes, like I made one recently. I went to order two jars of honey and I ordered two cases of honey. Like I was like, <laughs> wow. When that showed up, I was like, okay, neighbors, who wants honey? Like it was like just such a stupid mistake. And like, I'm still going to continue to do that. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to do my best not to, but I'm a human, right? Yeah, and so yeah. we have to really, like what you do is you almost shine a light on those really dark places for people and you make it okay for them to be not okay for a while. But that process is the thing that allows us to become free. Yes, yes. And one of the things you mentioned was filing bankruptcy. And this is something that everybody has heard in passing of somebody who has filed bankruptcy. But I'd love for you to elaborate on what it really meant for you and your $2.1 million of debt. A lot of people think that when bankruptcy is filed, you automatically have all your debt wiped out and then it's back to living la vida loca. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I I would love for you to share from your personal experience, what did filing bankruptcy do for you? Was any of your debt eliminated? How much of your debt was eliminated? And what did you have left over to work with? And how did that impact your overall finances? Oh, I never actually did file bankruptcy. I never had to file bankruptcy. I got really close though. No, but I think it's still an important conversation because sometimes I looked back like while I was still paying it all off and thought that would have been easier. I should have just done that. And I, but I had such a, a stigma. I didn't want, especially in the financial services industry, right? You can't really be a mortgage broker or own a mortgage brokerage and have filed bankruptcy, right? So it was a mm-hmm. little bit of pride and a little bit of ego there, but it is an ugly process. And I've, I've seen people go through it and it's not easy. And it does take some of the sort of immediate pressure off, but it's still a long-term process that requires people, depending on where you live in the world, right? But there's like the discharge process. And then there's the rebuilding of the credit process, if that's important to you. And it it is a long black mark on your credit report for a long period of time. And so depending on what part of the world you live in, sometimes it stays on your credit bureau for six or seven years. Sometimes it stays on for 10, depending on where you file. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's on there for life. You know, if you're living in a European country, for example. So it, it is something that some people choose to do because they don't have another option. I have no judgment towards it. If people have to file or don't have to file it. I don't think it matters one way or another. I think the big thing we all have to remember is what are we doing after? Like once we've made our financial mistakes, now what's the recovery process and what are we doing to learn and grow so that we don't have to be in that position ever again? Yes. I've definitely seen multiple instances of people who will file bankruptcy and then find themselves right back where they started before they filed bankruptcy all over again. That was me in consolidation. (laughs) It was in a long-term on again, off again relationship consolidation. Revolving cycle. (laughs) Yeah. So let's shift gears a little bit. And thanks for clarifying. And also one thing I wanted to point out for folks listening, Erin, is that you are in Canada. 
Yes. Part-time in Canada and part-time in the USA. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Just to, cause folks are always looking for resources between Canada and the US. So it's always good for folks to know yeah. where, where and you know, I the wrote guests the book are from globally because a lot of my clients or people, I guess I should say a lot of the people who take the Get the Hell to Debt program are also in Australia and in the UK. And mm-hmm. so I wrote the book with a global perspective and it is a, it's, the book has been released worldwide and it is really around the concepts of money that don't, like, it doesn't matter where you live. This is the truth about how money flows in and out of people's lives. And so you can do this work. If you're trying to get out of debt, you can do this work with a friend that's in Australia and the process is the same, or you could do this work. If you live in Kansas, you can do this work with your friend who lives in California and the process is the same. So I really wrote it with a global perspective because of the, the money issues that a lot of women face are the same across the globe. Mm-hmm. in the developed world anyway. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's that's great to know. So let's come back to your story and paying off this debt now, right? So in your book, you discuss something called the squeeze method as an approach to paying off debt. Can you explain how you applied this to getting the hell out of debt for yourself? Yeah. <laughs> how did you eliminate that $2.1 million of debt? We all want to know. Well, and also <laughs> as the second part to the question, how do you now leverage that method to teach other people to do the same thing, regardless of their total amount of debt. And I think that's so fun. You bring such a good point to that is that like, we've helped people who've paid off, you know, $2,000 in debt up to, you know, six figures in debt. I still seem to be the reigning champion of debt in the world for people that I've worked with. But, you know, the squeeze method is really just around doing what I didn't do before when I was consolidating. When I was consolidating, I was looking for a quick fix. Like I just wanted some breathing room all the time. And so I would consolidate everything and not pay attention to the details. And then I'd still have that available credit left over. And I thought, what is the opposite of this? If I were to really look at how I was managing money, what's the opposite? And so it's little things like if you get, let's say a gift card, somebody gives you a gift card for the grocery store for Christmas, let's say. And what you're going to do now, if you get a $50 gift card for the grocery store, you take that $50 gift card and you remove that $50 out of the budget that you would have had otherwise. And you take that money and you squeeze it and you put it on the debt right away. What I would do before is I'd be like, woohoo, $50 free money. And then I would go blow the extra. Like I didn't, I didn't pay attention to how that actually could help me. And so it's just about making tiny, tiny little shifts. It's not about making those giant, huge strides. It's going, okay, well, if if I had intended to spend $600 on groceries this month, and now I have $650, I know I can get by on $600 of groceries. So I'm going to squeeze $50 out and put that towards the debt. And we do the same process. If you're building wealth, we take that $50 out and we put it towards actually buying an asset and building some wealth. So the squeeze method works, no matter if you are just starting out, if you're in debt, or if you're building wealth, the, the idea that you're just paying attention to those little pieces and you're just without affecting your lifestyle you're squeezing money out of the budget, you're going to get where you want to go a lot faster. Mm -hmm. So how did you go through that with your debt? Like, how were you, how are you squeezing? (laughs) Well, first I cried a lot. (laughs) Um, But I, I really did like, you know, like most people and all the things that, you know, I know you teach so well and so beautifully is like you, you, have to pay attention to those numbers and you have to first get acquainted. It's like dating or having a new relationship, right? You first kind of get acquainted. You're like, you know, Hey, paycheck, how are you? Like, what are you doing here? Where do you want to go in life? Like what's going on? Right. You kind of get to know your numbers and then you get intimate with your numbers. And when you're in that place of intimacy with your numbers, you can like make decisions with comfort and almost like 
with assumption, you know, when you're like at a party with your girlfriend and you look across the room and you can tell by the roll of her eyes that she wants to go, like you can just look Mm. and you know, right. That's the level of intimacy you get to know with your numbers. And so I just got to this place where I could, because I'd been paying attention, then I could like, when money was flowing into my life, I knew I could make different decisions that would allow me to get further faster. So like, if I had suddenly like a bonus check come in, right. I was like, I had decided where that money was going long before I received it, right? It was like, this is the, I know the amount of this, I'm intimate with these dollars. This is the amount of money I know I can live on no matter what, everything else is going to be bonus. And so I just took every penny and, and lumped it down. Now for me, my debt was so huge. And a lot of my debt was, I was behind on taxes. And so there was a lot of government debt. And so the government was just coming in and taking some of that. So that made that part easy, right? Because they were just, yeah, the money would get play with that. They, yeah. I was like, <laughs> they well, want their the money. Piece. It's coming out of the bank. Figure it out. <laughs> this is a great debt repayment program. Okay. So I just like, <laughs> they would take it. But the rest, I just made a list, right? I just, I went through and I said, who are all the people that I owe? And I made a list of everything. And I thought, which one do I want gone first? And I was like, okay. So for a season, because I just could not pay, like I would, I advocate people to pay minimums on everything, just like, you know, any other sort of snowball expert, pay the minimums on everything and then focus on one and knock that one out. But yeah, there were times where I, like, I literally could not pay anybody anything. It just didn't have it. So I just had to focus on the first one and pay that down. And then I just got to the next one when I got to the next one, you know, I just, I didn't let that bother me. I thought I can't help this right now. I've made a big mistake but I've already made the mistake. I don't need to continue to beat myself up over it. I've made the mistake. I've screwed this up really badly. I'm going to pay that back every penny that I owe, but I'm going to get there when I get there. And so I just, you know, did what anybody else would do is you make a decision, you make a list and you follow the plan as best you can, you know, with a little bit of humanity written in. So I would focus every penny on it. And the, here's what happened for me that I found the most challenging is because I felt so terrible about myself and so terrible about the situation I had got myself into, I actually found it hard to make money while I was getting out of debt. I, I really struggled with that worth piece. Like it just became harder for me to even receive income because I felt like I didn't deserve it. So I had to get to this place where I saw it instead of me paying off debt, I saw it as me building wealth instead of me, you know, when I was down to the place where I was like, $1.3 million in debt now, right? I saw it as, oh, look, I'm $800,000 richer than I was before. And that really helped me keep that cash flow coming in because I think the tendency when we don't feel good, it's like I've been hurt by money, just like in a relationship, right? I've been hurt by this person. So I'm going to reject them before they reject me. That's the kind of energy that I was putting into it. So I really had to shift that thinking into like, you know, okay, this is negative 2.1, but yay, now we're only negative (laughs) 1.9. Yay. Now we're like, I just, and it took many, many years. Like people will say, how long did it take you? And it's hard because it's not like when I woke up with that $2.1 million in debt, I just slowly started paying that down. There was, you know, when you're that far in debt and you aren't able to meet those obligations, there's now penalties and there's NSFs. And like, you know, so if I missed a $20 payment on something, it would cost me $95 because it would have like two $35 NSF payments, you know, one from the bank and one from the vendor. And then the $20, I like, it just was this. So I'm sure by the time it was all said and done, which was like a seven year process for me, at least that I paid off way more than $2.1 million of debt. It had, you know what I mean? It had to have been more than that. And 
it's one of those things that it's like, I, I wish people could understand. It's not even just about the math. Like it's not about the 2.1. It's not about, I need to make X amount to pay this off. I need to, it's about that focus and that determination that you make and the little tiny progress every day that adds up over time, just like it was the little tiny, stupid decisions that added up over time to get me there. You know, and you can move away from waiting for something to happen. Like I kept going, like when I get a better job, this will be easier. Or when I sell this widget over here, things will be easier. When we can get away from that thinking and go, what am I able to do today? You know, I owe the government so much money. (laughs) I was like, sometimes I'd make a $6 (laughs) payment. I thought they're going to be so insulted by this, but I was like, it's something, it makes me feel like I'm moving closer towards it. And at least I feel in control of the process. But when I was waiting for a paycheck in order to manage my life, I really felt helpless. And that made it much more difficult in order to make progress. Wow. And like you said, it's the small steps and it took you seven years and $2.1 million is a ton of money. But like I said earlier, right, the amount of money that someone owes is relative to yes. also what is their life, their income, what is mass to them. So for you, $2.1 million was massive to somebody else. Their version of $2.1 million could be $10,000, could be $50,000, yeah. could be $100,000. It's the yeah. same burden if you don't have the $100,000 in the bank to pay for it. If you don't have the $5,000 in the bank to just pay for it and you have to figure out where is this $10 coming? Where is this $20 going? You know, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. And also sharing the reality that it does take patience and it does take mm-hmm. time the same way, even though sometimes it's really quick to get into debt, but <laughs> yes. it takes patience and time to change behaviors. Mm-hmm. It takes patience and time to see progress with debt, especially when you don't have all the money, like I said, to pay off the debt, but you were able to do it. And now you're in this place where you chose to pay off that $2.1 million. You chose not to file bankruptcy. You chose to go through that seven-year process and dedicate the bulk of your income In fact, the majority of your income towards getting out of debt while still pushing your business, right? Because sometimes it may seem like, wow, I've built this six-figure business. I should have a lot of money in the bank, but I'm here for seven years paying off debt. I'm sure you felt that way. Oh, yeah. And, you know, (laughs) and it was seven years of the hard, right? But it it was more like there's some nuances in there, right? Because it's even afterwards, I remember like I'd have all the debt paid off and somebody would come out of the woodwork and be like, oh, you didn't pay this traffic ticket from, you know, 2007 and you owe... $111. I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, you were parked on the side. I'm like, I don't even remember like how, you know, they're like, yeah, it was a $40 ticket. Now it's 111. And I'm like, how did you even find me? Like, (laughs) like, not that I was hiding from it, but it was like, (laughs) you know, I'd be like, I thought I was done with this. And I really wasn't done with it. Like it just, it was so bad. It kind of kept creeping up. And so maintaining a sense of humor about it, I think was really critical for me because I just think every time that happened, I could have easily fallen back into more shame of like, oh, here's something else, right? Like, when is it going to end? And instead being, you know, in a position of like, because the, here's what's interesting is there was a lady who had helped me at one or was trying to help me at one point. Um, She was a bookkeeper slash accountant. And she had messed up on one of my company's taxes quite badly. And I paid 17, let's say 17,000. It was something like that for this one particular quarter. And I remember being like, that can't be right or whatever, but I didn't even have the money to have another accountant have a look at it. Like it was when things are really hard, like being in debt is so expensive, not just from the debt perspective, but from all the other ways in which it locks you into not being able to make a choice. Hmm. So years later, I was like, I can't believe 
like not even sorry, years later, months later, I was like, that can't be right. And whatever. So I'm starting to like go through the numbers myself and try and figure this out. But meanwhile, I had to pay her the bill, right? Cause she had done the accounting and whatever. And so I was late on the bill. And so I get it figured out and it turns out she'd made a big mistake and I didn't owe that amount of money. And so I'm trying to undo that with the government. Meanwhile, I'm already owing them. Like it just was like this overwhelming avalanche of mistakes, but every, every penny matters when you're in, you know, that kind of situation. And so she sends me this like rude email. That's like, like just this awful email about me not being able to pay the bill on time, even after she'd messed up. And I thought, wow, like I have to step up my level of integrity and set a higher standard for myself here because she's right. I should be able to pay this bill and I can't, but it doesn't give her the right to treat me poorly. And why am I like, this is the only industry I know where you can make a terrible mistake on somebody's finances and still get paid for it. (laughs) Like, I got to step up and teach people how to manage their own finances in such a way where they can have empowering conversations with their bookkeepers and accountants and not be bullied by, you know, what was happening to me in that situation. So it just, it's that thing of like, yes, there's these dollars and cents and yes, we have to know the math. And yes, you know, there's all of these little things that happen along the way, but the overarching issue is that we all need financial literacy. We all need a better financial education. We all need to understand what's happening so that regardless of if it's her fault or my fault or whatever, I have the power to get out of it. I have the power to make decisions and I don't need to feel embarrassed about the situation and I'm in a little more control of my own financial future. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes it's the fear that holds you back. You get a bill, wow, I owe $17,000. And you're like, I know I owe this. So, and you're too afraid to look too deeply at it in case you uncover more, but then you may... You do not realize that it's a mistake. And you know what? Shame on that woman for trying to shame you for saying you're not able to pay your bill. I mean, it's valid that you inquire about a large amount that you owe to make sure that you really owe it. Anybody would do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> But I think here's the other piece of it is, is that like now, you know, now that I'm on this side of it, she obviously had some money shame too, or some money stress in her life. Right. So, yeah. So now I can see that whole situation differently. But at the time, I really felt like this person should know better than me. Like this person is smarter than me. I would go to the bank and they would tell me, or they'd be like, oh, you bounce this again. Like you, you owe this NSF. And I would just be crying like, gosh, I can't. Right. And they would just be like, well, you should get your poop in a group kind of thing. And it was like, that's not the response I needed in that moment. I needed somebody to just be like, hey, it's going to be okay. You're making a series of stupid decisions, but you've got to stop trying to get the little ones, the urgent ones handled and look at the old, like, how are you going to get out of this giant hole? Like you need to learn some basics. Like you need to understand the flow of cash in and out of your life and you need to be paying better attention, but it's going to be okay. And you can do it. And it doesn't make you any less worthy of a human if you don't know this. Yeah, that's really key. Well, thank you for sharing Aaron. And you know, before I let you go, I have a couple more questions, you know, so now you are on the other side of your journey and you've written this book called Get the Hell Out of Debt, the proven three-phase method that will radically shift your relationship to money. Who is this book for? Who is the ideal person to pick up this book right now that will have the biggest outcome from reading it? Well, I wrote it for my friends, my female friends who felt shame around money, just like I had. And I wrote it for the the women who feel like, money books are boring. The women who feel like they need to have a certain financial status in order to feel good about themselves. 
the biggest gift I was given through this whole process. And, and then eventually, you know, I came out of it and I'm teaching other people how to pay off debt and we've helped you know, thousands of people pay off millions of dollars in debt. But the biggest gift in all of that was when I remember one of my, the people who'd taken the course, her name is Chrissy. She had gone with her husband to the accountant to do their year end. And she'd asked a series of questions and the accountant looked at her and said, oh my goodness, you are my favorite client. How did you know to ask all, like, how did you? And she was like, oh, I took the get the hell out of program. Right. So it's like, I think of her all the time. I think of like how her life is so dramatically different now than it was, you know, 10 years ago and how empowered she is. And that's who I wrote it for. Those women who feel disempowered about money or disillusioned or confused or scared. And I wrote it so that they would enjoy the book. It's a little bit funny. It's a little it bit is funny. It's like, <laughs> it's designed to be fun to read so that the process itself can be fun. And so I like, just like you, like you do this because you're driven by this beautiful mission to help people. Yours is probably more honorable than mine. Cause mine's like, you know, like I'm not as polished as you are or as, you know, but you, you're still amazing. It's, we do we, this. We are, we we are all who we are. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for sharing. I know we could go on talking forever and dive deep into your story, but you know, I would love for you guys to go check out Aaron's book. It's called Get the Hell Out of Debt. It is available everywhere books are sold. Aaron, what's your website address for people who want to learn more about the programs that you offer? AaronSkyKelly.com is my website and it's you can Google Aaron Sky Kelly, but it's really important that you put Kelly on the end of that because there is a an adult film star named Aaron Sky, And so, <laughs> and she also has brown hair. And so we, sometimes people send me like, Hey, was this you before? Is this how you got out of debt? No, it's not. I don't know her. I wish her well, but I don't know her. Um, but yeah, AaronSkyKelly.com is where okay. you can find most of the resources. <laughs> That's hilarious. But okay. The correct URL is going to be in the show notes. So open the show notes. Yes. To get only, the correct click there. Link. <laughs> only click on that link. And before I forget, you have to tell everybody what is your clever girl superpower? My clever girl superpower is being extremely socially awkward in very professional settings. <laughs> I'm with I, you. <laughs> my gosh, I bump into like mannequins and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Or like, I just, I'm so socially awkward. It's, it's quite profound, actually. I think it was given to me as a gift. <laughs> Awful. Well, that, <laughs> What's that's yours? Excuse you. Oh my God, my superpower. I don't, I don't think um, I know yours. It changes a lot. So right now my superpower is patience. And oh. Jesus, because my kids are home with me for the next three weeks. Oh, I will pray to Jesus for <laughs> That's you. That's my superpower. And to be oh, a nice mom who doesn't yell. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> That's the superpower I'm working on. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So yeah, but thank you so much, Erin. I appreciate you being here. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. And I hope you enjoyed it. If you've loved the episode, but you don't yet subscribe to the podcast, you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes and head on over to iTunes and leave a review so other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. Thank you so much for being here and I'll talk to you on the next episode.